What is up? We are back. This is Football Life Presents the Audible on this Tuesday, June 29th. I am your host, Randy Hammond, and my co-host, Matt Bushnell, is back and allergy-free. How are you doing this week, man? I am feeling a hell of a lot better. You know, it's kind of crazy when you live in a desert and you're allergic to grass and you are suffering from allergies. I can't explain it. You'd think you're in the right climate for that, but unfortunately, they, you can't escape it. So glad you're back to have you back for this special edition, NFC South Week. Uh, this is a very interesting division, and we're going to talk about it from top to bottom. But before we get into it, Matt, we love to do this number game here. This is episode 63 of Football Life Presents the Audible. We're getting into the thick of the offensive line numbers here. Who do you think of with number 63? Number 63, a famous and maybe the best offensive lineman for the Chicago Bears during their Super Bowl run. Jay Hilgenberg. Very integral part, Jay. Shouting out to Jay Hilgenberg. Good for him. Uh, the only giant I could think of is Chad Wheeler, and he's been in uh, the news for some legal issues, so I'm not really going to be too proud of that shout out. But I'll just shout out Gene Upshaw, legendary Oakland Raider, uh, and, and many others too, so too. So Gene Upshaw, number 63. But Matt, let's not waste any time. Let's get right into this division, the NFC South, home of the reigning defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we're not going to start there. We're going to have to end with them, obviously. I mean, they are the cream of the crop, right? We've got, we've got to save the best for last. Absolutely. So let's start with – we're going to start with sort of the opposite end of the spectrum here because we have a team sort of in a rebuild slash transition, but I don't know if they're doing that great of a job at it, and that's the Carolina Panthers. Because I look at this team, and they've paid Teddy Bridgewater a ton, ton of money the last couple of years. They ship him out of town and now their starting quarterback really with not a lot of competition here is Sam Darnold. And now uh, he got ran out of town with the jets did not play very well, was hurt a ton. I can't think of a guy who was drafted in the, as high as he was, who really has been as bad as he was, but people still believe in him as much as I can think of with Sam Darnold. I mean, it's pretty crazy at this point, how much people really still have faith in him. You hear people saying that he's going to be a top 10 quarterback this year. Um, you know, Colin Cowherd, who I don't take anything that guy says literally. He's the pom-pom waiver of all pom-pom waivers for Sam Darnold. It is absolutely unbelievable. You think that was his um, biological child that he left behind somewhere. But at the end of the day, Sam Darnold, it's it's hard to see. And this is what I get really frustrated with. Um and Corey Ducker knows this. I trash hype videos. I think hype videos are the most worthless creation to anything, to any fan base. Because one, you're showing videos with really no defensive pressure, no game conditions. The sun is out. The weather's perfect. You're throwing perfect spirals without any shoulder pads. You may have a helmet on. And really, that's no indication. Because Sam's problems always come under duress. So I'm not going to give Sam any credit. I don't think he's going to be this miraculous turnaround story until I see him in game action. You know, there's an old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And Sam's been in the league now for three years. This is year number four. I haven't seen anything that would indicate that I'm going to see a different Sam Darnold from years one through three. We always talk about quarterbacks. Year three is the breakout year. That's where the year where you see quarterbacks really transcend up. That's why it's such a huge year for your quarterback, Randy and Daniel Jones. Yeah. I, I think Sam Darnold is what is what he is. Here's the argument for Sam Darnold. And it's not for me to really believe this all that much, but 
you look at what Ryan Tannehill has done in Tennessee in a post Adam Gase situation. I will say that Ryan Tannehill also has had Derrick Henry. He had AJ Brown. He had Arthur Smith. He had a lot of things going for him in Tennessee to make for a successful offense. And then you even saw the postseason, Ryan Tannehill kind of returned to form. He hadn't necessarily played too well in the postseason, but you're kind of hoping with Sam that you get a breakout like you had with Ryan Tannehill. Now the problem is the talent isn't the same. Uh, it's still us okay talent around Sam Darnold here in Carolina. And then Matt Rule's system, while I like it, I'm not sure Sam's the right guy for it because I think you need a guy who can throw accurately on the run. You need a more mobile guy than Sam Darnold. I know Darnold can move, but I wouldn't call him the most mobile mobile guy ever. And most importantly, uh, accuracy is, is key in this league. And Sam Darnold's had turnover issues like you know just about worse than anyone i've ever seen almost um darnold uh will have christian mccaffrey um he missed a lot of the season last year i think he only played three four games that certainly helps robbie anderson had a breakout year last year after he left adam gase in the jets so you like that too they already have sort of a chemistry set up uh dj moore is a good wide receiver they do lose curtis samuel so you're throwing in rookie terrace marshall to, uh, into that number three spot and probably my favorite aspect this whole team has nothing to do with the players at all matt bushnell but you have Sam Darnold and Dan Arnold on the same team and their names just sound alike. And I think that's cool. And I can't wait. I, I just want them to connect on a touchdown at least once just so an announcer could do something cool with that. Any faith in Darnold leaving Adam Gase and see, even seeing a little bit of improvement, because I kind of think Adam Gase really just brought the worst out of everyone. Yeah. I, I think there's going to be a slight improvement in Sam Darnold's game and eventually his numbers is Sam Darnold going to be a top 15 quarterback ever. I, I don't think so. I think there's too many turnovers there. Um, what I think you will see is an improvement with weapons. I, I think Sam will have more deep passes, more passes over 20 yards that he'll connect on. DJ Moore is really good. Um, Robbie Anderson is also very fast and Christian McCaffrey is going to give him a more reliable, um, safety valve coming out of the backfield. I think Le'Veon Bell was done. They really didn't have a good running game at that point. And obviously the offensive line's kind of a wash. I feel um, the Jets didn't have a terrible offensive line. It, it wasn't great outside of Becton, but you know, the Panthers have some guys there. Also, I, I mean, think, outside of Milton, you know, it's kind of, yeah. You know, Matt rule is probably a better coach but we're still seeing a losing football team here. And it was curious that they drafted JC Horn with, I believe, what was it? The seventh or eighth overall, the eighth overall pick in the draft. Uh, not really helping him. I still think tight ends a weak spot on this football team. Yes. And their defense is still bad. So there's a lot of things here. Maybe he gets a lot of garbage time yards, but I think we'll see a little bit better version of Sam Darnold. I, I think I don't know how it can get much worse. Honestly, uh, <laughs> we've touched on the uh, the better talent you have with the, than you had with the Jets. I think that's you know clear, given McCaffrey and Anderson and more alone. Uh, like you said, the tight end I don't love. Um, Pat Eflin, okay, he's fine at guard. Moten is really the star here on the, on the line at tackle. Uh, Matt Paradis is sort of uh, aging at center, but nonetheless, I think you do need a leader on the line. I think he could be that. But uh, I think the strength of this team is going to be the defense, which is crazy when you think about Matt Rule. I think they have a ton of defensive, young defensive talent. Um, Brian Burns is a first-round pick. Derek Brown's a first-round pick. Yatur Gross Matos was a second-round pick, played very well last year down the stretch as a pass rusher. They brought in Hassan Reddick, who you have sort of been iffy on with the 
Cardinals, but still puts up decent sack numbers from year to year. Shaq Thompson, uh, J.C. Horn, A.J. Bouye should make for an interesting uh, corner duo. And then Jeremy Chin played very well as a rookie last year. So they're young, but I think they're super talented. And if J.C. Horn turns into the guy they think he can be, I really like this side of the ball uh, for the Panthers. Yeah, I, I do like Jeremy Chin. I think he was a little bit more surprising than what I thought he was going to be. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to the linebacking core, I'm not as big of a fan. I, I think there's some holes there. I, I think this team's susceptible to the running game. I think they're going to give up quite a bit of yards on the ground. So I, I just I can't feel good about they got guys on defense. They got some guys on offense, but it still doesn't feel like a good team to me. It doesn't feel like a 500 team to me. I still think there's a lot here that they have to get better at. And I still think as good as DJ Moore is, as good as Robbie Anderson is, as good as AJ Bayou might've been previously and JC Horn, I, I don't know if there's enough big plays on either side of the ball to make this team a threat in this division. Fair. Uh, I'm going to share their, my screen here in a second. I want you to give me permission to, uh, Matt. Uh, I'm going to pull up their schedule. But for me, it, uh, this is another developing uh, team, and this is a sort of a rebuilding team. But I don't know if they're even a better roster than they were last year. I think going from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Darnold is a uh, not an improvement, I would say. I, I think that you know Teddy actually played pretty well in that system from time to time. So I don't, and the offense is actually pretty entertaining and they went to the wire with a lot of good teams, especially the Bucks and the Chiefs. They were right in those games for the whole game. So I don't know if they're going to get that out of Sam Darnold. So to me, and I want your take on this too, Matt, because we heard so much about Matt Rule and everything that he did with Baylor and he turned them into a contender again and they were really good and they made the, uh, they made a bowl game and everything. That's all well and good, but we know the transition between that and the NFL is not the same. Now it's good to have a system and a plan and him and Joe Brady appear to have that together, but at some point you need to start seeing results. And last year, all right, you can throw last year out as just a implementing my system year, but now you have to see gradual improvement. And with a new quarterback and one that's, I would say a lot worse than the one you had last year, I kind of fear that that's not going to happen. So do you have any faith in that rule to sort of take this below average roster and turn it into something that's watchable each week? Oh, this, the schedule is favorable for them to get off to a decent start. I, I think there are still issues with them. I mean, you just take a look at their last part of the schedule, and it, it is pretty brutal. Um, yeah. Week nine on, it, it is a meat grinder. So it's going to be imperative for them to get off to a hot start. I'd, it, Randy, I'll say this. If they don't get three wins out of those first seven games – I don't think they get uh, – I'll say three wins out of the first eight weeks. If, if they don't get three wins, this team's not going to win five games this year just because of how tough that second half is. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is going to be a worse team than it was last year. I mean, then they would be in a position to take a quarterback in the draft and they would have to do a year three with this regime and a new quarterback, and that's kind of my concern about, about Matt Rule this year. Um, I agree. I think you could see wins against the Jets, the Texans, the Eagles, maybe the Giants and maybe the Falcons. So by week eight, best case scenario is they have five wins. But then after 
after that, you're it's it's pretty tough. And they really the only winnable games I would say are the Falcons uh, and maybe the Saints. So it, I would say the best case scenario for this team is seven wins. And I don't know if that's good enough, but who knows? I mean, this is just me talking here on June 29th. I mean, they could be a lot better than I expect. But looking at the schedule, they're not better than a lot of these teams that they're playing. So for me, my official prediction will be six and eleven for the Carolina Panthers. Matt, where do you think that they'll land? You end up, I think they'll end up being last place in this division too. But with the caveat is, I have a team that if it all falls apart with them, they can finish below them somehow. Yeah, I man, I, you see the problem with me is like I'm trying to see where the Saints are going to go quarterback wise because that team's been so quarterback dependent for so long. And now without that's Drew Brees, I have no idea. That's that's the team I don't have any faith in. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm I'm just gonna go kind of through the winnable games as you did. I I think the Jets is a winnable game. I do think the Texans will be the worst team in football by a mile. So, and you know, I chuck that up to a win. Cowboys are gonna be good this year. I, I really think with Dak Prescott back, that's a very tough team. I don't I don't think they win that one. I think the Eagles, Jalen Hurts. I, I think that's gonna be a close game. Um, and Vikings, they have no chance winning against the Vikings. Um, Giants really depends on Daniel Jones, but I think that's a winnable game. The, the Falcons might be a sneaky, tough game to get out of. And, and then you start taking a look at the meat grinder. You know, New England, Arizona, Washington, Miami. You get the Falcons again, and then you get the Bills. Yeah. Well, and then you get the Bucks. then you get the Saints, then you get the Bucks again. That's a brutal stretch. The, the, the only way that they – maybe they get one of those games against the Bucs, which would be the last game of the season when, you know, if the Bucs get the number one seed locked up. They're <laughs> yeah, not, the rest of the starters. <laughs> yeah. So then maybe we look at, like, seven wins there. But I, yeah. I'm kind of leaning with you. I think six and 11 is kind of where they're going to fall because I could see them picking off a couple of these teams, and I completely agree with you. That that team that we're going to talk about, if things don't go right, it's going to get really bad. Yeah. And you know this could be a team that also things don't go right for, and we could be looking at a four and thirteen situation for Carolina, and that's that's if you're still getting Sam Darnold on the jet that was on the Jets. Um, so I think six and eleven is an optimistic outlook for this team, but I could also see it be, see it becoming a lot worse for them in Carolina. Yeah, they lose right. that Eagles game. All bets are off. And I think the Eagles is a fair uh, game. Honestly, I think there are two teams that are very similar and on par with one another, but I actually like the Eagles quarterback a hell of a lot more. (laughs) So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, Now it's time to transition into uh, another team. Well, one of the teams that have represented the NFC South in the Super Bowl in the last five years, and that is the Atlanta Falcons. Um, What a time it has been for the Atlanta Falcons since then. Um, and let's just start off with the weirdest part about the Falcons this year. And they are moving forward in a post Julio Jones world. It has been 10 years and the, one of the best receivers in the league had been running routes number 11 for Atlanta. And now he's not there anymore. So now I still like the Falcons offense, but this is kind of weird that Julio is not there anymore. Yeah. And I go back and I, I look at that trade and I guess the value, you know, you can make what you want out of the value. And I know Julio has been often injured, for those Atlanta Falcons. I don't know. I, I, I like, um, God, what is it? Russell Gage, the wide receiver. I'm not sure if I got his first name right, but yeah. I, I, I do like Gage. I do like Calvin Ridley a lot. 
love Calvin Ridley. Yeah, he is going to be fantastic. Uh, Kyle Pitts is kind of the question mark as far as where is he lining up? Are they going to line him up at tight end, or are, or is he going to take the Julio spot? Because I mean, he is he is running a four four forty, and that that is fast NFL wise. So. Could he be an outside wide receiver? It is definitely possible. It'll be interesting to see how he's utilized. The big question, I think it comes down to this team. I still think there's two major holes here. I don't love their running back situation, but I completely discredit running backs at this point, Randy, because I don't need to know if you have one, because you know what? Some no name could show up week one and then he wins a rushing title, James Robinson, um, for Jacksonville, but I don't think he won the rushing title. But, you know, you guys know what I'm saying here. Mm-hmm. And then we take a look at, you know. You Mostert, anyone? Yeah. Yeah, these guys, you know, just get a guy that can run. Um, then we take the quarterback position, Matt Ryan, which, you know, I think he's, what, 36 now, 35. He is up there in years it always seems like he throws that most inopportune interception. He's kind of like the last holdover from that Super Bowl meltdown. I don't know how much they expect to get out of Matt Ryan. I don't think there's any MVPs left in his future. Can he win, you know, multiple games this year? I think Matt Ryan's going to be the biggest question mark. And then the defense. I hate this defense, Randy. This this was my issue with drafting Kyle Pitts. And I understand if no one is willing to trade down or trade up with you and you can't trade down, but you had so many holes defensively and it wasn't a great defensive draft, but I loved Patrick Sertain. Maybe they didn't, you know, the old adage is you take the best player available, Mm -hmm. but they really didn't do themselves very many favors here defensively at all. Yeah. The defense is a big problem. Um, I just want to, okay, so I'm going to touch on the offense quick because you know me. I'm the biggest running backs don't mean anything guy. Uh, they're a dime a dozen because, you know what, they paid Todd Gurley a lot of money last year, and he was awful. And he was clear, very clearly done, and he still hasn't been signed by a team. And the, so what? They said, all right, Mike Davis, he filled in for Christian McCaffrey just fine in Carolina. Let's pay him, you know, a little bit of money for two years and see what he can do. Any running back behind the right offensive system and offensive line can be successful. And I think Arthur Smith, given his history with uh, Derrick Henry, um, I'm not saying they have the Titans offensive line, but he could still have some success. The receiving core, I love, absolutely love Calvin Ridley. I'm all over him in fantasy love him and he was a top 15 fantasy wide receiver with Julio he's going to be an absolute stud and like you said Russell Gage is a damn good wide receiver too and here's the thing outside of New England and I might even give them the edge here the tight end duo of Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst is a damn good one and you could play both those guys at the same time always and I think that's what they're going to do because I think Hurst could be your more traditional blocking guy but he can still catch passes and then Pitts is a guy you're going to line up in the slot and be a red zone threat and I think he's going to create huge matchup problems for every linebacker in this division now here's the thing about the offense the O-line I mean Jake Matthews is pretty good uh Chris Lindstrom's okay but then it's like I don't really know what to make of the rest of it. It really is kind of dependent on that for this offense to really click. And the other aspect of this is the quarterback, 36 years old, coming into year 13 now, Matt Ryan. Um, 
Yeah, look, he's an MVP, and I think when you look at his whole career, you know, he, he's probably going to make the Hall of Fame somehow. And, I mean, I think when you look at the fact that he is an MVP and he led them to a Super Bowl and he has all these All-Pros and these uh, Pro Bowls, Matt Ryan has put together a damn good career for himself. But is Matt Ryan still a guy at 36 that you still trust, Matt? I mean, he's given the nickname Matty Ice because he was clutch. And I can't remember the last time Matt Ryan made a clutch play and I trusted him in this situation to make a play to win the game. My, my issue with Matt Ryan is not so much that – I don't think it's performance-based, Randy. I think it's more like – why do you keep on losing these big leads? Is it play calling? Is it something that he's doing? I mean, obviously, we could take a look at the Dallas game. All you need to do is make one or two throws at that point to put the game away. And, and that's really what it comes down to in the second half. Your defense sucks. So when you have all this money and all this talent tied up into your offense, it's incumbent on you to make those one or two plays at the end to not let your defense blow the game. We saw the same thing with the Bears game. You know, all, all he had to do was make one or two throws. And, and that's two extra wins right there. And mm-hmm. Matt Ryan didn't come through. I mean, I remember that Bears game vividly. He he makes an accurate throw. I believe it was to Ridley. Falcons win that game. There is no Nick Foles magical comeback. So now we're kind of staring at the bottle. Is it the defense's problem or is it Matt Ryan's problem? And I honestly, I... I don't trust Matt Ryan to win a game anymore. I think he can get you a lead. I think he can put up points, but I, I don't see him winning games. I don't view him as a clutch quarterback anymore. I mean, it's the same thing with the Lions game that they blew at home last year too. I mean, he, there's just so many plays left on the field that the Falcons could have made to win. I think a lot of that was coaching for a long time. I think that we wanted more from the Falcons coaching, especially the play calling aspect, going back even to 28 to three. I know it's the Patriots. I know it's Tom Brady. I know it's a legendary comeback, but you're up 28 to three. You have a, a eight point lead with however many minutes left. I think it was six, five, six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Julio makes an incredible catch to put you into field goal range. And all you need to do is run the ball three times and kick a field goal. And the game is over with. There's nothing at that point. The Patriots can do to win the game and they get cute. They pass the ball a few times. Ryan gets sacked, and then he fumbles the ball. The Wingland gets to that midfield. Now, it's his fault for fumbling the ball, absolutely, but I think he's been kind of hurt by play calls in his career, too. With that said, he, like I said with the fumble, he does not is not a guy who's going to put you in a situation always to win no matter what the play call is, and I think if there are other quarterbacks in the league who can use their legs, who could run out of bounds, for, for run for a first down, run out of bounds, throw the ball away, I think Matt Ryan is more likely to make a mistake in those crucial situations than he is to come through for you. That is with a different coaching scheme, by the way, because I actually like, this is a, this is what we call a transition in the biz folks uh, to this coach, Arthur Smith, um, Tennessee, one of the, uh, I don't know if say better offenses, but down the stretch with Derrick Henry, they are a juggernaut every single year. And Ryan Tannehill has played so well in the last two years and AJ Brown looks like a number one. And then you get other guys paid. And then, you know, the, ten, the overall, the Titans offense has been the strength when you have a defensive minded coach. I think that says a lot about the offensive coordinator. That essentially is what got Arthur Smith the job here. I think Arthur Smith can bring a little bit of that offensive magic to the Falcons. Um, are you a fan of that hire? Cause me, I just think that this team, if they're going to be anything, it's going to be on the offensive side of the ball, because as you mentioned, the defense is just, it could be one of the worst ones in the entire league. 
I am a huge Arthur Smith believer. I, I think he took Ryan Tannehill and we could talk about Adam Gase and everything that Adam Gase has done and, you know, all that just jazz, but I don't want to because it's not about Adam Gase. It's about Arthur Smith and what he can do. I look at Arthur Smith and I see a lot of similarities, Randy, to Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. um, maybe a smarter play caller than Kyle Shanahan to a certain degree. I, th- I think the one thing that you're going to see from Arthur Smith with the Falcons is a real commitment to run the football with scheme-driven plays. I think you're going to see a lot of traps. I think you're going to see a lot of power runs. I think you're going to see running the football when it makes sense. So I think Arthur Smith was absolutely a home run hire. Um, the two teams that I thought nailed their coaches this offseason were the Jets and the Falcons. I agree. Uh, I really love the Salah hire and Arthur Smith. Look, uh, you can point to every stat you want with the Titans offensively. And uh, you could say that's a lot to do with the talent they had. And obviously Derrick Henry, but you still have to make the most out of that situation get the most out of those guys. And Derrick Henry is still not the most prototypical 21st century running back. He's very much a one-dimensional guy. He doesn't have great hands. He's not the fastest or elusive guy. You have to draw up schemes and rushing attacks to to fit his style here. You still need to run uh, traps. You still need to run counters. You still need to run dives up the middle and powers off tackle. Like you still need to do all these things. And if you know what you're doing, that helps. And I think Arthur Smith can adjust no matter what the situation is. And I think Ryan Tannehill and Matt Ryan are also similar quarterbacks. Although I think Tannehill's a little bit more mobile and Ryan is probably a little bit more accurate with the beat ball, especially. Uh, you can see on your screen, if you're watching on Facebook Live, I shared the Falcons' 2021 schedule. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously similar to the Panthers, minus a few games here and there. Um, not as brutal down the stretch, still not that easy. But, uh, Matt, you take a look at the schedule, and does this help your, your Falcons' optimism at all? Yeah, I, I think it does, actually, because I, I think, you know, you start off with – I would say two and two is realistic. So, you know, you, you start off two and two, which, you know, I I don't know how you feel about Washington and, you know, we'll, we'll get to the NFC East, but you open up with three NFC East teams, which was largely documented one of the worst divisions in football history last year. So, I mean, those three games could be all winnable games. Uh, the Bucks is going to be a hard game. But I could see the Falcons. Obviously, they're not going to get to 500 because there's no 500 records this year unless they end somehow in a tie, which would be kind of interesting. Which would be Falcons-esque, honestly. <laughs> it really would. And I can uh, tell you which game it's going to be right here. Oh, it's going to be in England where they love soccer. <laughs> oh, geez. And it's going to be October 10th against the Jets in London at 9.30 in the morning Eastern time. That's the game that will end in a tie. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I'll tell you what, if you're a Jets fan, that has to be good news because we know the Falcons can score. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure we're going to see plenty of scoring from the Jets then at that point. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the tough games you can mark out. I mean, Tampa Bay is not going to be easy games by any stretch of the imagination. Um, really, you get Jacksonville, which I think is favorable. I, I don't think Jacksonville is going to be a very good football team to the degree of a playoff contender. So that that, that could be a win. They get the Panthers twice. The Lions should be a winnable game. You know, the 49ers, uh, 
the, I think that's a winnable game. I, that's the game I circle late in the season that could decide if this team finishes above 500 or under 500, because, you know, I, I don't mind Jimmy Garoppolo, but if you're playing, if you're playing Trey Lance at that point, I think the 49ers are in trouble. So, you know, that's kind of a wash to me. So, yeah, I'm going to go on a limb here, Randy. And I like the Falcons a little bit. I, I think they finished nine and eight. Okay. I think that's an optimistic outlook for them. Um, given how bad the defense is, they're going to make some bad offenses look good too. Um, I think they, every game they play in is going to be a shootout. I bet the overs and every single one of their games, <laughs> but uh, ultimately it's really not that different for me. I, I could see them in the seven to eight win range. And if everything broke well enough for them, then yeah, it could be nine and eight, but this team is going to be, it really depends on the consistency of them because they have been historically so incredibly inconsistent. I don't love the saints. We're going to talk about that in a second, but if they could somehow be better than New Orleans, which they have yet to prove that they can consistently take care of business in the division, then I, then well, we could talk about that too. I don't know if the Niners is a winnable game because even if Trey Lance is in the game, I just like Kyle Shanahan enough to win that sort of game. Uh, Jacksonville could be a winnable game, but by then, excuse me, I like to think Trevor Lawrence is in a bit of a groove and he could take care of business there. Um, like you said, the NFC East, any NFC fan of the NFC East can't like just assume they can't be mad when we say those are winnable games. It was the worst division in the sport. Uh, they brought a team with seven and nine record to the playoffs. Anytime you're in the NFC East now, it is typically a winnable game. Like I know the Giants were competitive, but they still were six and ten. So in theory, they are a winnable game for anyone. So um, I would say I, I don't know if I'm willing to go the, the, that far where they all say that they're five, over five hundred, but I will say. Uh, seven and ten, eight and nine for the Falcons, and I think that's fair. I think you know the offense is going to be really good. I, I have faith in Arthur Smith in that aspect. Yeah, I, I think Arthur Smith is good for a couple of wins here, and they, they always give some teams fits. So I could see the Falcons scoring enough points to upset a couple of teams here. Yeah, I I really do. I'm looking forward to watching their offense. It should be super exciting, and uh, I, I really do. I think that Arthur Smith is going to make a big difference. All right, moving on now to the team that I, I am going to have some takes on. Uh, the New Orleans Saints is where we go now. And Matt, this is weird because since 2006, uh, they have been quarterbacked by number nine, Drew Brees. And he retired in the offseason um, on a legendary Hall of Fame career, no longer with New Orleans. When I look at the Saints, you just always think of Drew Brees. He's the best player in franchise history. He changed everything about that franchise as soon as the Chargers decided to let him go. And as soon as the Dolphins really didn't sign him in that same offseason, he changed everything for the trajectory of this, this franchise. And they honestly, they really only won one Super Bowl, but they were in it and had a chance every single year. Now, uh, I don't want to say they're in quarterback peril, but it's certainly a different situation here. Matt, uh, what do you make of the Saints in a post-Drew Brees world? I don't love it, but I think Sean Payne has built up enough equity with the NFL fans that we kind of put the Saints in that, like, you can't write them off. I think the issue I have with the Saints, um, defensively, I think they're really good. They did lose uh, a couple of secondary pieces, I believe, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure. Or maybe they leave after this season. I'll have to check my numbers here. But um, – to me, Michael Thomas, 
Alvin Kamara, and I know they got another wide receiver, and I forgot the other wide receiver's name, and it's killing me. I mean, they really don't have much else other than that. It, it's basically Thomas and Kamara, and then you got Traquan Smith, yeah. uh, Marquez Callaway. I mean, they don't even have a good tight end. I mean, the projected starting tight end is Adam Troutman. I mean, they, they really – it's very top-heavy with those two guys, and if, God forbid, Thomas or Kamara get hurt, they are screwed. Yeah, so we see the pieces – where this team falls apart. And then we're looking at Taysom Hill, perfect gadget quarterback. If that's going to be your starting quarterback, that's going to be your guy. I, I don't like your chances. Um, the accuracy is lacking. He's got tons of speed. I mean, what he can do speed wise and everything. Um, to me, I, I want to compare him to Tim Tebow in a sense, because I think he has a better arm than Tebow. Um, but there's just a lot to be desired there with Taysom Hill as your quarterback. Jameis Winston, we all know the story. One of the most entertaining players in NFL history. I, I think My we can God. all say that. <laughs> um, 2019, by the way, 2019, he threw for 4,000 yards, threw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. One of the most entertaining, like obviously you want the less turnovers, but one of the most entertaining seasons from a non-Bucks fan standpoint. Yeah. So the question is, can the Saints – be competitive i think the division will allow them to but if they're bad at the quarterback position randy this could be a last place team it could be a third place team um you know i i don't think this is a strong division as it was when we looked at it last year i think last year we talked about this division saying oh man you know you got the um i thought maybe maybe we put the panthers up there we gave the falcons some respect um i i know Kind of said the Bucks. Who knows what they're gonna do? I think you predicted them for the Super Bowl, and then mm. you know the Saints. So we thought this was a very good division. I, without Drew Brees, the Saints look drastically different. But you could argue, and this might be a hot take. I think they were a worse team with Drew Brees as their quarterback last year than with him. I think he was super limited in his ability in the last two years, especially. So I think that's a fair argument. I man, I'm just going to do you a solid here. I'm going to share my screen and show you the roster that they have right now, or their, their projected starters. And you tell me how much faith you have in them, because to me, it's not great, man. Uh, so let's say Jameis is your starter, right? And then let's say Jameis isn't your starter and you're going Taysom Hill. That's even worse to me, but I think Taysom's going to get a handful of wildcat slash handoffs, whatever you want to call it. When I say this roster's top heavy, I mean, it's two guys and a solid offensive line and that's it. I mean, it, and then, and Thomas, I don't even love that much. So it's Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and then you're hoping to get some more out of Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway, but you're not going to get anything from the tight end position. Jared Cook's gone. Hill is gone. And then, look, the offensive line, Taron Armstead, Pete, McCoy, Ruiz, Ramchek, that's a good offensive line. Yeah, I'm not going to – that's the damn good offensive line. But if Jameis Winston's turning the ball over and you get one of these guys that are hurt, like I'm concerned about the Saints. And I think this easily could be the worst team in the division, more so than the Carolina Panthers. Look at this defense. This is an aging defense, especially up front with Cameron Jordan, who's been in the been on the team for more than a decade. I mean – Demario Davis, kind of an old guy now. Marshawn Lattimore still is a damn good corner. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, do you really have a lot of faith in him? Because I really sure don't. Uh, Marcus Williams, in and out of the lineup all the time. Malkin Jenkins, pretty old at this point, too. The Saints feel like a team that just needs to blow it up and just restart. Because this, this roster, I don't have a ton of faith in. 
you know, with all that said, though, you know, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, Randy, because I think this defense is still good. I, I don't think this is a bad defense. It might, it's definitely the second best defense in this division. So is that enough to outweigh? See, you play good defense, you run the football. It's a recipe for success later on in the year. And I think that's where the Saints might be able to make some hay. Um, I, I like the offensive line a lot. I really do. I take a look at Cesar Ruiz. Love him. I love Ramchek. I love Armstead. I, I think that is really good. Andrus Pete, he's, he's a guy, but he's not bad. Um, and then we take a look at Eric McCoy. I don't know much about Eric McCoy. But, yeah, I, I agree. The tight end and the second and third wide receivers are not very inspiring. And it's, it's going to require a team effort here. Uh, Christopher Henry in the comments section said they got to run the hell out of the ball. I agree with that. I, I think Alvin Kamara is going to have to be used quite a bit here. Um, you know, I, I don't hate the roster. I don't love it. I think the first four weeks, you got to feel it out. And if they're losing games, I do agree with you. You got to blow it up. But I see a decent football team here. I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders, but I think it's a decent team. So here's the thing, too. Jameis Winston, when we talk about that 2019 season, and he was so electric and exciting to watch and all that stuff. Okay, Bruce Arians and Sean Payton. All right, I, I, I think that I want to say it's even coach-wise, but still two pretty good offensive-minded coaches there. Mm-hmm. Mike Evans, Michael Thomas, both pretty good receivers. Then you add Chris Godwin. Then you add uh, OJ Howard. And then you, I mean, the Bucks' weapons were so good. You had Rashad Perriman as your third best receiver who was making plays on the regular for you on the Bucks. Rashad Perriman would be by far the second best receiver on this team. And it wouldn't even be close. To me, he benefited from having the Bucks' talent around him a ton. And he doesn't have that talent around him anymore. He has a great offensive line. I think that might help a little bit. But Jameis Winston can't help himself. I think Jameis Winston is a relatively just dumb human being. I think he's more prone to make mistakes, even if there's not a mistake to be made, than he is to make the right play on a consistent basis. I just, I'm so out on the Saints. And honestly, I don't even think it's a hot take to say that they will finish last in this division this year. Yeah, and look, I can't argue with a lot of that, what you said, because a lot of it bears a lot of merit here. I, I just think the coaching is good. I, I I do think that Alvin Kamara is an MVP candidate. I think Michael Thomas is a vacuum cleaner at wide receiver. Um, you know, the offensive line's good. I, I think we're going to have a really good idea on how good this team will be after those first four games. So... Let me pull up the schedule. Okay. Oh, oh boy. No, that doesn't make things any easier. Oh, by the way, a little baseball tidbit here. I'm not sure if Leon Tompkins is watching, but Kyle Schwarber hit his 18th home run in June. Look at that. Completely insane. Glad the Yankees signed Brett Gardner instead. Anyway, let's talk football, Matt. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, uh, just an amazing feat by Kyle Schwarber there, but uh, yeah, man, that Packers game is going to be brutal to watch. I, I think Green Bay well, is going to the Packers to me. I don't like we talked about, I don't know what to make of the Packers. If it's Aaron Rodgers, yeah, they're screwed, but if it's Jordan Love, then yeah, that becomes an incredibly winnable game. Yeah, I all right, so I, I'm gonna go. I, I think they lose against well, I, you know, I'm gonna say they beat the Packers, I think they beat the Panthers, 
you know, I, I, I can see them losing to New England. And then we get to the Giants, and I think they beat the Giants three and one. The three and one. And I think that's the point where this team can feel good about themselves. After that, I I don't know. You know, I they can beat the Falcons, they can beat um, the Panthers again. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. They they have a lot of primetime games too. Holy crap, I didn't realize how many primetime games they have there, Randy. That's uh that's a lot. Yeah. Good thing they can flex Sunday night games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So look, you're, you're giving them really the benefit of the doubt too with these first few games. I mean, if Carolina is competitive, they might lose that game. If Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers, they might lose that game too. I think they definitely lose the Patriots game. I think the Patriots are much improved compared to last year. Going to New England is much different than playing in the Dome. Giants were super competitive all year. And if they're throwing out Jameis Winston, if Jameis is going to throw three picks, I could see the Giants handling business there. And then Washington, we both love – I mean, I really love Washington this year a lot. So we'll talk about the NFC East. But, I mean – I wouldn't shock me if they're one and four in the first five weeks of the season. And I mean, it really depends on the status of Aaron Rodgers, but I could see that too. Yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, after yeah. the bye, it's a lot harder too. And it's after a... bye, you're looking at the Eagles and the, I mean, the, the Jets, and then maybe the Falcons and Panthers as the winnable games. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. And as an older team, you never want that by this early in the season. You know, because t- towards the end, I mean, M- Miami's going to be a dog bite. Tampa Bay is, and, and here's the thing Tom Brady doesn't forget things. And, you know, I-, I have certain feelings about Tom Brady, but I think he's one of the best competitors I've ever seen in my entire life in the sport of football. So, New Orleans beat them twice in the regular season. I think that's enough motivation for Tom Brady, even though they beat them in the playoffs, to really come out and smoke them. Um, yeah, I guess I see an eight and nine football team here, Randy. It just kind of feels like it's eight and nine and third in the division. I also just realized in the schedule that they have the night game on Thanksgiving against the Bills. Uh and then they also play the following Thursday against the Cowboys. Um I don't love the schedule. And to me, this feels right on par with the Panthers at six and 11. And if Jameis is really bad and Taysom's really bad, it could get worse. Now I want to have faith in Sean Payton because Sean Payton has done a very good job for a long time. But you look at years like 2013 after bounty gate, they kind of fell off. Um, they've had plenty of years where they were underwhelming. And um, now in a post Drew breeze world, I want to see what happens here. And I, like you said, Drew Brees sort of physically, especially at the end, not the same guy, maybe held them back a little bit, but I think the saints were much better of a roster last year too. And I can't, I don't think that should be overlooked. Um, Fantasy advice. uh, I recommend taking Alvin Kamara number one overall. I think his workload is going to be bonkers. I think he has a great offensive line and I think they're going to rely heavily on Alvin Kamara. And um, as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to be money, but don't love the roster as a whole. I think my hot take of this, maybe of all of the divisions, is that the Saints are going to finish in last place in the NFC South. Yeah, it's a bold take. Um, I, I could see it, though. I mean, all, all the signs are there. Look, you don't just lose Hall of Fame quarterbacks and still be able to have success. I think you saw that with the Patriots last year. Um, I mean, Patriots had other flaws uh, on their roster, but, you know, Tom Brady really did help a lot of those. And Yep. 
you saw what happened and now they, they kind of bolster up the roster ever since. So um, you're going to, you might see a sort of transitional year and the Patriots still went what seven to nine. I think it's going to be worse than that for, for the saints this year. All right. That leaves us with one final team in the division, Matt. And it's finally time to talk about the reigning defending undisputed Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's crazy to think that last year, you know, you were, I mean, more than anyone pounding the table, the Chiefs are going to go undefeated. They're not losing a single game. And even when we did the Super Bowl preview, nobody had the guts to pick the Bucs. And I really did want to, I advocated for the Bucs and I said it'd be a great game, but even I still could not have gotten myself to pick the, pick the Bucs. Um, a year later, after you get you get Tom Brady, all of us sort of had our doubts. Um, it's sort of crazy how you look back and you realize how stacked that roster actually was and their ability to – they got I think they got lucky <laughs> in New Orleans in the playoffs. I mean, New Orleans had a chance to win that game. Jared Cook fumbles the ball in the second half, sort of changes the momentum, and here we are. And then the Packers game, obviously we know what happened with the field goal at the end and Rodgers not scoring the touchdown. So I think they were very fortunate. But the way they dominated the Chiefs, I don't think that can really be overlooked. I mean, they have the formula to really beat anybody. And they brought – the craziest thing has never been happened before in the history of the sport, Matt. They brought back all 22 of their starters. Literally in this history of the Super Bowl era, they brought back every single person, every offensive lineman, every secondary player. I mean, that that's unheard of, obviously. They're running it back. They're going for broke, going for back-to-back. 44-year-old Tom Brady looking for ring number eight. He admitted this week that this is coming to an end here. I don't know if this will be the last year, but Brady acknowledges that the end the, the end is near and the horizon, the light is at the end of the tunnel, and maybe this is it for Tom Brady. The Bucs, I'm all in. I think they're the NFC, NFC favorites, and it wouldn't shock me if they're back in the Super Bowl again this year. So I, I think it's important to look at that Super Bowl victory in perspective. Okay, L- let's just go back and take a look at the circumstances surrounding the game. One, it was in Tampa Bay. Home games, it, it, it helps tremendously. And, you know, not to take anything away from they, they won the Super Bowl. And when you take a look at that Chiefs roster, three of the five starting offensive linemen were out against a very, very, very good Tampa Bay defensive front. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes had to get surgery on his foot at the end of the mm-hmm. year. So, you know, he was playing injured, but everyone's playing injured at that point to a certain extent. Um, but really the chiefs defense, not a whole lot of excuses to be made for them. They got torched at every aspect, but then you take a look at how the chiefs defense is built. It's built to protect leads. It's built to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback with the lead. It's not built to play catch up. It's just not. Um, That's more of the offensive suit where, you know, the offense keeps on putting pressure and they keep on scoring and you wait for the offense, the opposing offense to make a mistake to this defense. So with that being said, I I I think the Bucs got more credit needs to be paid to their player talent acquisition scouting department because Tristan Wirfs, how he fell to them in the draft is absolutely mind boggling. This kid was amazing at left tackle. And then, you know, the offensive line as a whole was really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as Tom Brady, you know, we joke about, you know, how upset he gets when he gets sacked and a little hissy fit and how the refs are on his side. He was pretty clean for most of the year. I mean, Tristan Wirfs, I think, only allowed one sack. And you know what? That sack was to Cleo Mack, who's one of the best edge rushers in the entire NFL. So 
to me, this Tampa Bay team is very, very good. Yeah. I think there's going to be some tests, and I wouldn't discount the Rams as being one of those NFC contenders, and we'll get to them. But by all means, um, I, I'm not discounting this Tampa Bay football team this year. I think they're really good. I think they're loaded in a lot of positions. Um, did they re-sign uh, Antonio Brown yet? Because I know there were some issues they found in his knee that was kind of holding up that contract. I believe they did bring him back, yeah. I, I think it was another one-year deal. Yeah, I, I, and, and that's the part. I, I knew they kind of organized it. They, they, the deal was kind of like mutually agreed upon pending the physical, and the physical did not come back clean. I'm just not sure if it was enough to wipe that um, deal off the table. But if he's back, they're deep at wide receiver. You got Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. I mean, it's as deep as it gets. So it's a good football team. And that doesn't even touch on the, the tight ends because, yeah, obviously Gronk on paper is great, but he's still on the older side. You still have O.J. Howard, and you still have Cameron Brait, and then outside of Leonard Fournette, you still have Ronald Jones, and then they bring in Gio Bernard to be mm-hmm. the third down back. Like, they load it up. Like, Gio Bernard is not even, like, a great player by any means, but he could still like, catch passes. Like, he was, like, a fine backup for the Bengals for all those years. It is insane how they did not lose a single guy. Like we talked about in the offseason, like how are they going to retain Shaq Barrett and Chris Godwin? Like we had no idea how they were going to pay all these guys. And everyone were like, was like, I want back in. I want to run it back. That to me is all front office and Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, like all those guys saying, let's do it again. Don't go get your money yet. Don't get your bag yet. Come back. And somehow they made it happen. So obviously the front office deserves a ton of credit for that because you and I were pretty much like, there's no way they're bringing back all these guys. And sure enough, that they did. Now, I mean, this has been a topic of discussion for every football podcast in the history of time. And it will be forever. Um, Tom Brady, uh, Matt, and he's been in the news for a couple of things and I want to touch on him, but you are not the biggest Tom Brady fan for many different reasons, but singularly speaking in 2021, do you think he can still make the magic that he made in 2020? Because to me, the roster is set up perfectly for him to do so once again. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not doubting Tom Brady's ability to perform. Um, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived. Where I rank him bears no impact on how good of a football player or how great of a football player he is. You know, age 43 came and he still threw for what 4,000 yards and 30 plus touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the tape is what it is. He makes all the right reads. You know. The, Besides the Bears game where he had that mental old man slip when he didn't know it was fourth down that he finally admitted to. Thanks for that, Tom. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he's still one of the better NFL players. It'll be interesting to see what he can do at age 44. When you get that motivation, when you feel burned, like the great ones seem to find it. My only concern for Tom coming into this year versus what he went into last year, he had a lot of axes to grind going into last year. You know, he wanted to prove Bill wrong. He wanted to make sure that he was still that dude. What's the motivation this year? You know, and it's hard to find it, especially when you're 44 years old, you know, getting up in the morning. Do you still want to do this? Do you still want to do the grind? Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be Tom against himself. I mean, what's crazy, and we've seen him. I mean, he's got he had six rings, came back and said, you know what, I want another one. And he obviously, like you said, he had those other things coming into it. But Brady is one of the better self motivators that we've seen in sports. So, 
Um, not totally concerned there, but I agree. Uh, 44, he very much admitted so that the end is near. So he is already kind of looking, I would say, uh, at a post-career uh, situation with his family, maybe what he's going to do work-wise, if anything. But before we move on, I want to touch on this. In that same episode of HBO's The Shop, he said when he was a free agent, a team decided to not sign him. And he, he didn't say who. All he said was, oh, you're sticking with that MFR, implying the quarterback that was already on that team. I've seen a dozen stories saying a dozen different teams. Mm-hmm. And if you remember at the time, there was interest with the Niners and the Bears and the Saints and, I mean, and the Bucks, and there was a, a, maybe a couple other teams, the Raiders. But he did not specify who he was talking about here. I don't think he would badmouth Jimmy G because they have the same agent, yeah, but he could have been. I don't think he would have said that about Drew Brees because I think he probably has mutual respect, but I don't know. I think he would absolutely talk shit about Mr. Trubisky and the Bears and say, that guy's a bum. How could you possibly want to stick with him over me? I have no way of knowing that for sure, but based on all the quarterbacks of these teams, I could also see it about Derek Carr and the Raiders. If if, if it was, you know, that situation with Gruden, um, I could see it being about him too. If you had to take a guess, Matt, on who this team he's talking about is, who would you think it is? I just want to address the bears because a lot of people like to throw out the bears and you know what, at the, at the end of the day, I can only go by what the beat writers have said on record. And, you know, we don't know the inner workings of it, but if you watched Matt Nagy's body language, when it came to Mitch Trubisky, I honestly believe Matt Nagy would have chosen anybody, but Mitch Trubisky to be his quarterback that year. He couldn't wait for Mitch to make that throw where he could finally put in anybody else but Mitch Trubisky. So to me, I I think it's documented that Nagy, after the 2019 season, he was kind of done with Mitch. He kind of felt he was football stupid. So to me, if I had to take a guess, and I'm just going out on a limb here, I do think it was Drew Brees Mm. because I think it was one of the finals. I think – he saw Drew Brees at the end. Drew Brees, remember, in 2019, his arm didn't look that great. We were thinking, man, that should have been the end. Yep. And now this year, this past season, it was awful. Mm-hmm. Brees was god-awful this entire season pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely do think – I don't think it was meant as, like, disrespect to Brees' career, but to Brees as the quarterback of today. Because, remember, the three finalists, if I remember correctly – were the Bears, but he told the Bears, and no, I, I'm, I'm not going there. He rejected the Bears. The Bears didn't reject Tom Brady. But the Saints passed on him, and then the Bucks signed him. So I, I do think he was referencing the Saints here. All right. The fun thing about this is that we might not ever know. <laughs> um, so I, it is sort of speculation. It wouldn't shock me if, you know, every team had a story. I think one, you know, I'm on Giants Twitter and everyone's like, oh, it's Daniel Jones. I'm like, look, I'm sorry. Uh, even Gettleman's not that stupid. I think Gettleman would have brought in Tom Brady if he had the chance. But at the same time, he's in full-blown love with Daniel Jones. So who knows? Um, anyway, I, going I, back to the Bucks this year. What's I, I, what's I, I just want to say. It's interesting to see Tom come out and actually say something like that. Yes. I, I don't think um, pre-Tampa Bay, he would have ever come out with that. 
Well, he also said a bunch of things like that too, where he said a lot of times when he says things, he's, he doesn't actually mean what he's saying. And a lot of times he actually means the opposite. So if he says a corner is bad uh, or says a corner is good. He's, he actually thinks he's bad and he's going to go at him. And I'm like, this is a different side of Brady that he's actually coming out and saying some things because he is very much like Jeter politician answer guy. So that's cool. I mean, I think that's the sign that, you know, that his career is coming to an end soon. You saw that with like the undertaker in the wrestling world. When he retired, he started doing all these interviews again. Um, All right. So for the bucks in 2021, I don't know how much pressure there was last year, but I do think there were some expectations that they would be pretty good. Um, they also lost to the Saints twice in the regular season. So I think that in the postseason, they made a significant effort to beat them in New Orleans in the playoffs. This year, to me, there's no pressure. I think that they knocked out of the park everything they needed to do. Um, I think that this was a, a known couple year run with Tom Brady to try to win a Super Bowl, and they already did as much. So I think you're going to see a loose Bucks team which might, to your point, might be a detriment because one of the, what's the motivation, but also when you're this talented, I think the game is going to come easy to you a lot of the time. Um, so for me, uh, I think that it's kind of sort of a Jekyll and Hyde situation for the Bucks, And I think that's a good thing for an older team who uh, already is coming off of a championship that, you know, they're just going to go with the flow and, and sort of whatever happens, happens. Um, do you feel like the pressure is off? Because, I mean, after coming off a of Super Bowl with this talented roster, how could there be really that much pressure attached to them? I think there's more pressure than what we may be giving credit to the situation because I think um, with Brady being 44, there's going to be a lot of questions. Do you still have it, Tom? Uh, Bruce Arians being an older coach, you know, how much longer does Bruce have with, you know, football in general as a coach? And then, you know, you just even take a look into it. You brought everyone back and this is a championship level team. Why, you know, if there's a struggle, if they're not performing up to their capabilities, how they feel like they should be, this team's going to be heavily scrutinized. So I think there are road bumps in there and there's pitfalls that they could fall into. Um, The biggest thing I worry about with this Tampa Bay team is complacency. And I I think a lot of times we see it with championship caliber teams that are coming off a championship one season. It's just, okay, I can just turn this switch on. I've been there. You know, I can kind of relax a little bit. And when I need to turn it on, I can turn it on. Sometimes you can't always turn it on. When you flip that switch off, sometimes it's hard to turn it back on. So To me, it's going to be a very, very interesting season for the Bucs. Um, obviously, they're going to win this division hands down. I, yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. But the beginning of the schedule is not exactly easy. There's some tough games in there for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not the friendliest schedule I've ever seen. So I do think uh, it's going to make for them not having the best record by any means. But I do think they win the division handily. I'm looking at it. They have some tough games. I mean, Dallas, I mean, you think they're going to be pretty good. I, I, I think their offense is going to be good at, at nothing else. Um, we're going to get that NFC championship preview matchup there week three, Sunday night or on Sunday uh on the, I thought it was Sunday Night Football, it's not, but at the Rams, I mean, that's going to be a huge matchup early on in the season. At the Patriots, everyone has that circle. Brady's return to New England. He, he, that's going to be a huge matchup. Dolphins is obviously a great game. The Bears with the defense, you never, they're never out of any game, really. Um, Washington, Giants, at the Colts, tough game, too. I mean, I'm not going to go down each and every game, but it, it's, it loosens up after the Bills game. 
um, on, on in December. And then the last four games, the Saints, Panthers, Jets, Panthers, I think that's kind of friendly where they sort of sort of right the ship here and kind of coast into the postseason and maybe get hot. But I agree, the early parts of their schedule, not that easy. Yeah, you, you take a look at it. Dallas, I mean, week – I say the first two or three weeks, it's just kind of – you get some weird games in there where a team loses that they shouldn't have lost. Um, I remember Brady with New England for a couple of years. That They just – I think they lost to the Jets one year when the Jets were bad, and you were just like, what the hell? How'd that happen? So, granted, it's a rivalry game. You know, you take those with a grain of salt. The team I look at and I circle and man, this Rams team feels like it's all systems go. And yeah. I, I think that one could be really tough. Um, a favorable game for them, I see. And it's, it's the Bears at home. If they get the Bears in Chicago, you know, late October, that's a shitty game. You, you don't want to be playing in Chicago in late October and then for the rest of the season on because it's a shitty place. I know I live there. Um <laughs> But they, they get the Bears at home. That, that, that's a, you know, I, I think that's a win for Tampa. No, no doubt about it. I, I'm a Bears fan here, but you know, if that's Andy Dalton starting or even Justin Fields, I wouldn't throw Justin Fields to those guys. So you know, I, I, I like what they have there. But yeah, you, you take a look at the Rams. That's going to be tough. So three games in a row: the Rams, the Patriots, the Dolphins. Those are all really, really, really good defenses, and those are going to be fist fights. So. Yep. That's going to be a tough stretch. But, man, you take a look at the second half of that schedule. I mean, Atlanta, Buffalo, New Orleans, Carolina, Jets, Panthers. The only game that is going to be, you know, really a struggle for them will be the Bills. Other than that, they should go 5-1 and during that stretch to finish off the year. So I like the Colts. I like the Colts, but I don't don't think they really struggle that much with them. Um, But the Bills will give them a little bit of problems, especially, um, you know, if Josh Allen's playing well. So. Yeah, and, and it's at home though too, so that that right. helps Tampa Bay quite a bit. So yeah, if it's, it's at Buffalo, it's a different story. Agreed. And you you take a look at some of these games, and you're like, man, they kind of got some favorable matchups here. Obviously, they're tough teams, but you go to New England beginning of October, it could have been a lot worse. You could have went to New England beginning in December, which you know may not be a whole lot of fun for those warm um, weather body guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Panthers aren't going to be tough. And let's face it, the Jets, even in January, you know, that's going to be garbage time for the Jets. So they're really not going to compete. But that's like the one bad weather game I look at. And I'm like, man, that's going to be shitty weather. But the rest of it, the, the weather, the, the, there's no climate here that I think they're going to struggle in. So, yeah, I mean, maybe Landover, Maryland in November. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it could rain, but it's never typically not that cold that time of year and it's still not that North. So yeah, I think it's a, 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 that aspect of the schedule is great, but um, they have, they have seven one o'clock games yep. and they have five primetime games. And then, so the rest of the schedule is four thirty or later. We're going to be seeing a ton of bucks this year. Obviously we knew that, yeah. but it's going to be a lot of Brady in the bucks in prime time. And obviously that's not really that surprising. Um, look, I'm probably on the low end of the spectrum here with regular season wins. I still think they win the division and I still think they have a chance to represent the NFC, but I'm going to go 11 and six here for Tampa Bay. You know, I, I, I think I agree with a lot of that there because they did it last year. They finished second in the division and they still went on a run. I, I think this team feels like they don't 
you know, you've been there, you've done that, you don't need to excel. But then we also saw the flip side of it. I'm going to go back here to a team with another quarterback in his last year. And Randy, you were a young puppet this time, but John Elway with the Denver Broncos, you know, yeah. they went in as massive underdogs against the Green Bay Packers and they beat the Packers. And we all remember Pat Bowling said, this one's for John. And then the Broncos mm-hmm. came back next year and just whipped everyone's ass. Um, so I, I kind of see that kind of performance here with the bucks and that's why I'm going to go 13 and four. Yeah. I mean, that also does not, would not shock me at all. I'm going on the low end just to be conservative because I think that they will punt on a few games. Um, so yeah, uh, nonetheless, we both agree that this team's going to win this division. And I think we both agree that they're going to be playing, or at least I think that they're going to be playing in the final four in the NFC title game once again. Oh yeah. And I think it'll be the Rams. And I, I, we'll see what happens in that matchup, but I think those are the two best teams in the NFC by far. Completely All right. agree. That is the NFC South, Matt Bushnell. And it is, you know, I, I always say these are interesting divisions, but if you're a football fan, it's all interesting. You, you're interested in all of it. So um, I can't wait to see how that shakes out. And uh, we'll have the AFC South next week when that's kind of the opposite division <laughs> that has historically been a bad division. But maybe we'll get some competition. And, you know, they're home probably to the worst team in the sport, but they also have a few good teams too. Um, we'll talk about that next week, Matt. But before we get to us again next Tuesday, what are some of the other shows under the life? group umbrella that people should know about okay absolutely we have dong city coming back tomorrow um which is a wednesday their new day and time i believe 5 p.m uh pacific standard time 8 p.m eastern seven o'clock central standard time and then on thursday we follow that up with the workshoot wrestling podcast um great show and i do have to go back to dong city vince mercandetti henry maldonado jr I do believe Henry is not going to be on the show tomorrow as he will be attending the Yankees game. So there will be a guest host. I don't know who it's going to be. We'll all find out a little bit later. And then on Thursday, the Workshoot Wrestling Podcast, Corey Richmond, who filled in for me last week. Great job, Corey. Thank you so much. You know, I did want to yep. Yep. It was a really solid show. Loved listening to that. And then um, with Jason Brooks, our resident Packer fan who we would love to have on the show sometime, especially when the Bears beat the Packers twice. Um, So we'll see how that goes. And then on Friday, we have the Ball is Life, the Step Back podcast. Hopefully we have some clarity on the NBA Finals with Jacob Anthony Moses and Leon Tompkins. 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock. Basketball, by the way. We should clarify. Basketball. Yeah, basketball life. You know, Randy. It's new. It's new. You miss a little, you miss a lot, you know, Um, but yes, basketball life. Great show. Love that show. Um, You know, they do such a great job and I think we're in store for a really strong finish to the Western conference finals and the Eastern conference finals. Hopefully, you know, we'll see how it shapes up, but Leon and Jacob do a great job covering that. Um, So, and I, I do have to apologize to Felipe Melicio and Sean Flannery Um, I saw that they went live yesterday. Um, I know Monday kind of left a void in our shows. And I know Sean and Felipe used to go Sunday morning. I I do apologize because I am not sure if it's Sunday morning or Monday afternoon, but watch for the Total Bases podcast with Felipe Melicio, Sean Flannery. They came out with an episode yesterday waiver wire bonanza you know your Mm -hmm. fantasy team has to gear up for the last second or for the second half my team's dead in the water we're just trying to get to the end of the season 
Um, I, I'm like the real White Sox, Randy. I, I, everyone's hurt. Everyone's hurt. So, you know, you know, Matt, that's a perfect transition because I like to end the show with a bet update. And as you guys know, at the beginning of the year, Matt and I bet made a, made a wager on which team uh, would go further, my Yankees or his White Sox. And right now, Matt, it doesn't look like a competition at all. Uh, the Yankees are in a free fall, losing four in a row. Uh, they are currently up five to three on the Angels in the bottom of the third. Um, but man, in Yankee land, it's not looking too great, especially if you're getting swept by the Red Sox already twice this year. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think what will come out of it for Yankee fans, the good news is Aaron Boone should get fired. So that's the hope. the hope. What about the White Sox? I mean, they're, they're you know, what, 15, 18 games over 500 at this point. I mean, they're coasting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, I think they have six outfielders on the IL. So, I mean, it, it's been bad. Jose Abreu should play tonight, but he's banged up. Yohan Mankata may be hurt. It, it's just a, I, you know, Randy, baseball's weird because you take a look at football and, and you have a starting guys out like the Chiefs had with their offensive line. And mm-hmm. you take a look at that, what happened to them. They were a shell of what they were. Baseball, you can still tread water because there's a lot of shit out there. And thank yeah. God for the AL Central, because yeah. that might be one of the worst divisions in baseball outside of the White Sox and Cleveland. I really, uh, when I made the bet with you, didn't take into consideration that the Yankees play in one of the hardest divisions in baseball and you play in one of the easiest. Uh, maybe my just overall confidence in the Yankees was just a, a little overblown. Um, but, yeah, good for you. I'm happy for you. If you need an outfielder, I, I can interest you in, a, in maybe a Clint Frazier for, you know, if you're interested, you know. You can throw your we'll take a cadaver at this point because <laughs> they're – just before we get off the air, I just want to tell you guys the three starting outfielders for the White Sox tonight. Andrew Vaughn, who is a prized prospect. He's playing left field. He got drafted as a first baseman. Okay, so he's their left fielder. Gavin Sheets just got called up today. He's playing right field. And then Brian Goodwin. Yes, Brian Goodwin, the journeyman center fielder. Oh, what the hell? That's why they say baseball is a marathon and not a sprint. And you can't get that mad each and every day because things happen. All right, man. That's a lot of baseball talk here at the end. We've talked a lot about football too in the uh, special NFC South week. That was a ton of fun. Uh, looking forward to seeing you guys back here next Tuesday for a- AFC South week, which I know if you're not excited about the AFC South, join the club. We're going to make you a little bit more excited about it. I have a feeling we're going to be pretty optimistic. Um, well, that does it for us here on Football Life Presents the Audible. I hope you guys have a wonderful 4th of July, whatever your plans are. Stay safe out there. Don't get too burnt or roasted or anything. I'm going to go torture myself at a Yankees-Mets game this weekend. Um, <laughs> that should be maybe fun. Who knows? But uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with another special edition of the show. On behalf of Matt Bush, I'm Randy Hammond saying see you guys next week. Stay safe.